0: I don't really care how many seats we ever have in our auditorium. I do care how much of that we do. Yeah? Yeah, come on. It's getting hot in here. Can I have that water bottle? Oh. I going to take your jacket. Oh. Good morning come on church we're sending out our first uh, like senior pastor it's not a church plant out of here but it is such a significant line of demarcation for us as a new church plant that we have the ability to commission and send a pastor couple I mean that is amazing so put our hands together for Jesus come on okay I am in Exodus 22 Um, we are not going to read every verse Somebody in the room can go, ah. But we are going to skip through here Exodus 22 and 23. The end of Exodus 23 is so powerful, so I'm going to move, I'm going to attempt to move quickly through um, chapter 22 and chapter 23 to the end of 23, because I think there's something really key um, that God wants to uh, impart or, or sort of plant in our hearts today. Sound good? Okay, little background uh, quickly on my week before I jump in, because it, it, it connects. Um, we, we've just celebrated um, Amelia's fourth birthday, and that doesn't, that doesn't seem probably like much to you, but for, for us, uh, we spent a number of years and we weren't able to conceive, and so Amelia's fourth birthday is a really big deal. And the other thing that happened this week is um, I had a group um, of older guys who are all um, pastors, uh, my dad being one of them, that reached out and asked me to go goose hunting with them. Isn't that funny? So we drove up to Washington, North Carolina um, and got up at like 4 a.m. Little Washington, there you go, come on, and got in a boat and went and stood in the water all morning. And it was was highly uh, inconsequential. We didn't even see a goose, but (laughs) We got skunked, I guess. <laughs> but I stood in the water next to some of these guys, and they range in age from 67 um, to 80. One of them, the 80-year-old, couldn't be there with us. But they're all pastors, they're all leaders, and they're, um, they're at the back end of their journey, right? And um, I got this like massive juxtaposed thing going on inside of me with Amelia and Ezra and um, our other two Kids, and then um, this this experience with some of these guys that I walked with when I was four, five, six, eight, ten. Uh, one of the guys I've learned to snowboard with, learned to mountain bike with, learned to surf with. Um, just the, they're these delightful um, people and influential people in my life. In many ways, some of who I am as a follower of Jesus came from that group. And it's like something has happened inside of me this week, and I'm, even as we look at the text, where the, um, the brevity of life. You know, the time that we have. And uh, so this isn't, a, this isn't a performance or a, you know, work harder, do better. No, no, no. It's just the time that we have um, is so short and therefore how much more valuable, right? Every interaction, every, um, uh, it, it, it's just all the stuff we spend most of our days worrying about. When you look at it from the end of life back, Bob over here is 88, right? Almost 89? Yeah. When, when you look at um, all of the things that most of us spend all our time worrying about in the context of eternity, and the larger perspective of eternity, it really is just like a, a growing strangely dim. So I'm sitting here during worship, and you guys, I don't know who led the, like the deer panteth for the water, but I love that song. I love that song. It's one of my favorites. And when I put... Amelia to bed at night I'll often say hey babe what do you want to uh what song do you want to sing and she says almost every time the deer song the deer song so as we go into this I hope that you can go into this passage because the conclusion of this passage is somewhat jarring but it's powerful and I hope we can go into it grasping uh the brevity um the finality and therefore the significance of the life that we've been given yeah Okay, let's, uh, let's dig in um, on chapter 22. Uh, I want to remind you of something I said at the beginning of this series. You could go back, I don't know what week it was, but at the very beginning of the Exodus series, you can take the book of Exodus, and in my opinion, you can break it into three categories. You can go um, uh, Yahweh, the God who saves, what did he save them from? Come on, you guys got it. Slavery in Egypt, that's right. And then uh, you can go the God who accompanies. So uh, Yahweh, the God who accompanies. Remember the pillar of... Fire and cloud, that's right. And then you can actually go um, Yahweh, the God who indwells. And we're actually getting ready to transition into that with the tabernacle. It's so powerful. And you can take those same three, the God who saves, the God who accompanies, the God who indwells, and we can actually walk through the Gospels and we could walk through um, especially Acts and you could see that same pattern. This is the, this is the pattern of a father God who loves us as his, his kids, his people, and he wants to not only save us, but he wants to accompany us like a friend, and then he wants to infill us. It's so, so powerful. So as we, as we read this this morning, just kind of make, make a side note there, um, and then let's, uh, let's dig in Exodus 22. Some of this is a little dry, so I'm gonna, we're going to jump around, and, uh, but it's powerful if you can dig through some of this. It's absolutely powerful. So here we go. Exodus 22, verse 1. Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle. Somebody say, where in the world is Michael going? (laughs) Skip down to verse 5. If anyone grazes their livestock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray and they graze in another person's field, restitution must be made. Okay. Skip on down to verse 9. In all cases of illegal possession of an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a garment, or any other lost property about which somebody says, this is mine, both parties are to bring their cases before the judges. The one whom the judge declares guilty must pay back double to the other. What's this sound like? It's our judicial system. The American judicial system is founded on a Judeo-Christian. In fact, we have Judge Corpening sitting back there. It's founded on this sort of Judeo-Christian worldview and values. so it's, That's what is being laid out here. This isn't as much rules or how we should live or whatever. It, it, that, it does apply to us. But what God is setting forth is how you govern, um, judicially, a country. Make sense? Okay. Um, so... Let's, let's pause right there, and let me just point out two things that I think are, um, are infinitely important. As you read through all of, the, all of the laws, all the rules, so God has given these to Moses, Moses gives them to the people, but what you begin to see is a God who is finitely engaged with every detail of your life. Can you hear that? Like, Let that soak just a second. This is, you know, if you, we can read through every one of these. What you do with an ox, what you do with a spouse, what you do with a child, what you do with a slave, which is not our idea of Caribbean slave system, the, the atrocity and human evil that happened in America and the UK. That is not what this is talking about. This is an indentured servitude where if a, if a man or woman... Um, uh, lives beyond their means and ends up in debt. They can actually serve for six years, pay off that debt, and then be free. That's really what's, what's happening here. But the, the, the powerful thing about all of this is this God who um, is intimately uh, interested and involved in every detail of your life. Okay, now go there uh, just a minute. We have these things that sit out on our table. What's that? Specifically, what is it? A one-year Bible. Now, in the one-year Bible, you have this Old, uh, Old Testament chunk, a New Testament chunk, um, a, a psalm, and then a proverb. I love this, and I am convinced um, that if you will... Um, Begin to take time. I'm an early morning person. I get up when nobody else is awake because I feel like I can hear the Lord um, sort of best in that time. I don't think it matters if it's during your lunch break or if it's before you go to bed or whenever it is. But whenever it happens, um, if you can begin to take sort of un-rushed uh, time and sit in the Word, what's going to happen? What you'll start to hear. So in other words, sometimes when I preach, I even say, y'all say with me, Lord Jesus, would you speak to me? Lord Jesus, would you speak to me? And so, so that is, so as you're beginning um, to, to look through the Bible, as you're beginning to study the Bible, as we as a church are beginning to sort of journey and journeying through it together, you have Jesus now flip back to our passage, the God who cares about the details, who says, not even a sparrow, anybody know how big a sparrow is? Not even a sparrow falls to the ground without the permission of God. Not just Him knowing, His permission. He's a, the God who has the hairs of our head. Yeah he knows us so here's what i I want you to see first of all in all of this is this is the god who cares so intimately about every situation and scenario and relationship and everything that's going on in your life this is the god um who who wants to reveal his glory to you on the mountaintop moses on the mountain but he actually wants to um bring that glory and have you work it out and live it out in the daily life of the valley does that make sense so it's, it's, a, it's this um, sort of, uh, the, the glory of God goes from the mountain um, into our daily uh, routines, rhythms, and lives. And that is a, that's the heart um, and, and really a key of the God of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Okay, let's keep reading. Um, I'm going to pick up in verse 16. Um, and <clears throat> this next couple of passages what it is. Here we go. If a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged to be married and sleeps with her, he must pay the bride price, and she shall be his wife. So, what's the bride price? It's a, it's a fee. It's a dowry. Yeah, somebody said that. That's that's a good. That's an easy, quick way to understand. It's a dowry. Um, now. I want you to see something because many um, sort of modern scholars and modern thinkers, we tend to look at this and we go, this is crazy. This is like backwards thinking. This is so old school and outdated. But hold that thought and now flip back and go, you're living in a day and age when the sword ruled the earth, right? You're living in a day and age where the one with more chariots and more armies and a bigger kingdom ruled, right? Right? So, so what is being established here for the very first time in all of history is this idea that God cares about the slave girl. You hear that? This, this is so. When this first was um, released by God, Yahweh God, to Moses, this was so um, progressive and ahead of its time. It's like what? So uh, let me let me flip something. If you're a if you're a history buff, have you ever heard of um, uh, Hammurabi's Code? So. That was written uh, a little before the Ten Commandments, and there are certain people that go, well, that means that you know the Ten Commandments was a copy of no no, no it wasn't what what that means is Romans one two and three says you can know the Creator by way of the Creation, that's right. So uh, Hammurabi was just intelligent enough to look around and understand some of the natural laws that Yahweh God put into place. But what his code, their code did and really failed to do is it elevated those who were wealthy, it elevated um, even male, and then it put down anyone who was not wealthy and male, okay? So what's fascinating here is for the first time in all of history that I've ever found, you have a God who is actually advocating and championing the slave, you have a God who is advocating and championing the female or even the slave girl. You see what I'm saying? So this is a it's a transcendent, like boom, like wow. This is suddenly um, the God that cares intimately about humans and people, and even the laws that he's setting forth care all about that. Where do you think the whole American underdog concept came from? Like we love movies like, you know, I don't know, Remember the Titans, or you know, we love we love the underdog thing, right? I mean, that's, we all in America, we celebrate that. It's like this ethic, and it's an ethic that stems right from a Judeo-Christian worldview. It is an ethic to care for the one who, is, um, who has been hurt or cast aside or marginalized or disrespected or hated on. It is a, it's this beautiful God of mercy and grace um, that authored this book, authored this Bible, and then came in the fullness of his son, Jesus. So it's the God who cares uh, with great compassion and kindness for those less fortunate. All right, now let's keep going. Um, verse 18 uh, of, of 22, do not allow a sorceress to live. I've been back and forth in my own notes going, Lord, how much do I dig into this? I'm, I'm going to make a couple of comments. Do not allow a, a, a sorceress to live. When I'm encouraging you to get in the one-year Bible, more than read the Bible, as important as reading the Bible is, what is the hope? What? I like that. I've never heard it said that way. That's really good. To know the author. Okay. So what? So okay. Say it another way. What's the purpose? Why one year Bible? Why a five year journal? Why time in the presence of Jesus? What do you think? Relationship. Who said that, Adrian? Relationship. It's relationship. It's relationship. Okay. The God of the Bible is a God who speaks. So when I open my one-year Bible in the morning, and I've been reading through this for a bunch of years, I go, Lord, would you speak? And guess what? He does. Every day? No? Some days I just read it. Okay. Some days I'm like, boom, oh my goodness. Make notes, right? Wow! Now, what in the world do not allow a sorceress to live? Okay. There are people, and I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but there is a culture um, around us and in America that consult things other than God for their future. It's a legitimate need met in an illegitimate way. You follow me? Okay, Uh, so let's take a couple of kids' toys. Magic 8-Ball. Should I? You fill in the blank. You know. Go to the store today. I would never have one of those in my house, and here's why. It's silly, and I, don't think it's, I actually don't think it's a huge deal. But what is a huge deal is when you begin to mix um, Jesus with other things. And I don't want anything influencing uh, our lives or our family or, or um, foretelling or forth telling where we're headed other than the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Does that make sense? Now, let's, let's pause, because some of you are sitting there, well, i got an eight ball, or my kid has one. <laughs> All right, let, let me, let me, let's, so let's go down that path just quickly. What if you do, let me show you how this works. You grab a trusted friend, Carol, will you pray with me? And you go, hey, I've got this thing, and I recognize I've probably even opened the, dem- the door to the demonic in my own house. You have. If you've got one of those, you have. Call it what it is. Will you pray with me? And then you pray. Lord Jesus, I recognize maybe for the first time that this is sin. Would you forgive me? Would you cover it with the blood? Would you bind every enemy? Amen. King Jesus rules. Yes. You hear what I'm saying? You don't have to spend a bunch of time throwing, the yelling, or making a... No, no, no. Just pray it. Take it before... Remember where the Israelites put the blood? And then they ate. That's all dealing with sin before a holy God is. You bring something before him and you put it under the blood, you put it between the blood, and then you eat. That's it. And then it's done. Get up and throw it away. Horoscopes are the same way. It's a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Do you need to hear about your future? Yes. I know I'm messing you up. I'm always doing that. Let me say it again. Do you need to hear about your future? Yes. Do you need to know that there's purpose for your life? Yes. Do you need to know that someone bigger than you has a plan and a direction and a destiny for you? Yes. Get up, and instead of consulting your daily horoscope, consult your daily Holy Spirit. Jesus, speak to me. You hear me? Now, Again, there's probably someone in the room who goes, oh, gosh, I've been doing that for a decade. Great. This is your day of freedom right here. Yes. This, is, this is it. Now, I'm telling you, King Jesus made all power in heaven and earth available at the cross. He defeated death. He defeated hell. He defeated Satan. He defeated sin. And you just need to take that bit of sin and you bring it underneath between, and between. And you just, again, trusted friend. Carol, I've been looking at horoscopes for a decade. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? I recognize it as sin. I'm going to get rid of it in my life. Would you cleanse me? Would you even close the door that I've opened to the enemy? And would you bind the enemy in the name of Jesus? Amen. Amen. That's it. Like, this isn't, uh, I I sort of dislike and resent, um, resent's probably not too strong, Christians um, who who make stuff like a hoopla and make it weird. It's not. It's supernatural. It's like King Jesus died on a cross and made all heaven on earth over earth and in earth, available to you to overcome stuff like this. Take it before the cross. Amen? And then you get up and you go, no condemnation? I live under the? Appropriate the forgiveness and move on. That's how you deal with all sin, by the way. Supernatural, but very simple transaction. Okay, um, verse 19. Anyone who has sexual relations with an animal is to be put to death. I think that's self-explanatory. Uh, for, yes. Verse 21. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Okay, so let's talk about this for just a second. Um, who were the original f- foreigners in America? Somebody said it very eloquently. I heard it. White people. <laughs> Catherine? This is my dear friend Catherine right here. And Catherine and I have been praying, I don't know, eight years or ten years. Whenever I see her at church, I grab Catherine. She's my African-American friend over here. I give her a hug, and she or I will go, Lord Jesus, would you build a multi-ethnic, multicultural expression of your church in the city, and would you use us to do it? So here's what we're still praying by faith. Because we're pretty one-dimensional in that category, aren't we? Now, let me dig a little deeper here, just a second. Um, I am a. I, that's true. Okay. Um, uh, what, what is my job here? A uh, pastor. Thank you. <laughs> Y'all are good. Yes, yes, you're good. You're right on there. Okay. <laughs> I am a pastor at a church. My job is not to make laws that govern how foreigners come in or out of this country. You understand? My job is not to um, legislate or even make decisions related to how people cross in or come out of this country, okay? My job, though, and your job, because you are all, all priests if you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you, right? Your job is when there is a foreigner, what do we do? Welcome. Welcome, welcome, mercy, grace, love. There's a seat at my table. Come on. I don't know if sweet David's here today. He might not be, is he? We've had, a, we've had an Albanian exchange student living with us for two or three years. And, and we occasionally do that just because we always want to have an open door to someone who is not part of our country. And I think if there's something that I would point at the larger capital C church in America and say, hey, we got to wake up, is we have been gross and ugly and even in the deep south really ugly to people who aren't the same as us. You hear what I'm saying? This is the heart of God. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were once foreigners in Egypt. Verse 22, do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. A couple things here. Uh, There is a, a, um, ah, it's almost like a spiritual principle, but there is something so powerful in crying out. This is like this, uh, if you look at the Hebrew, it's this deep guttural, like, ah, you're, you're crying out. And so um, make note, if you're in the midst of a deep, painful, dark circumstance, cry out. Cry out, number one. Number two, um, if you take advantage um, of a widow or orphan, and if they cry out to me, I will hear their cry. And my anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. This is no joke, is it? I mean, this is like, Whoa. Your wives will become widows and your children will be fatherless. It is not a joke the way God deals with those who are less fortunate, who are mistreated, who are cast aside, who are disrespected. And there's all sorts of categories of people um, in America who I think fall into those categories. But this is the God of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. He champions those who've been downtrodden and cast aside and oppressed. Always, always. He's, he's actually saying here, if you, if you truly get into it, he's saying, my anger will be aroused, and in this day and age, if someone came and hurt your wife, what would the person probably get up and do? Go kill the guy, right? And that's what he's literally saying. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. He's like, whoa, this is the heart of this God to protect and to defend and to deliver. Okay, um, Okay, I think we got it. Verse 25. I'm going to skip through that. Verse 28. Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. Do not hold back offerings from your granaries or vats. You must give me the firstborn of your sons. I'm skipping down into chapter 23. Do not deny, this is verse 6, his justice to your poor people and their lawsuits have nothing to do with a false charge. And do not put an innocent or honest person to death. Verse 9, look at this again. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners. Go down to verse 11. But during the seventh year, let the land, so your crops, lie unplowed and unused. The poor among you may be able to get food from it. This is God's uh, initial social welfare system. You get that? This is a God who has always cared for people who don't have enough. Always! Always! I love his heart here. And, and, and even though many things in our American system is broken, it was set up based on a lot of this. <laughs> the wild animals may eat what you leave. Do the same with your vineyard and with your olive grove. Okay, um, then it gets into rest. On the seventh day, your donkey may rest, your slave, that, which means it's not really a way we think a slaves, indentured servant, born in your household, and the foreigner among you as well may be refreshed. <clears throat> Okay, now we're into these three festivals, and then we're coming up to the conclusion of 23, which I think is really powerful. So the three festivals, the first one in verse 15 is the festival of unleavened bread. Is anyone's translation say anything different? No? Okay. The other, well, the other um, festival that that is is Passover. So what was Passover? Remember, they put the blood. The God who saves. God who saves. Look at verse 16. They celebrate the festival of harvest. That corresponds with Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given. That's the God who indwells. And then go at the end of verse 16, the festival of ingathering uh, is also called the festival of tabernacles. That's the God who accompanies. And we're getting ready to go into that in Exodus, this this idea that God tabernacles amongst his people. Verse uh, 18, "...do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me, along with anything containing yeast." Um, bring, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Uh, that's a um, um, an incantation. God's not interfering with your cooking recipes. It's, in, it's a, a Canaanite incantation, and He's saying, "Don't do it." All right, now, verse 20, and this is kind of where we get, I think, into the crux of this whole thing, and there's something so powerful at the end of this, and I hope we can dig into it and get it. All right, so it says, see, I am sending you an angel um, uh, ahead of you to guard you along the way and bring you to the place I have prepared. Now, if you look at the Hebrew and you look at the whole context, I'm convinced that this is a pre-incarnate Jesus. Okay, there's a few theologians who would disagree with me, but largely people would go, okay, pre-incarnate Jesus, because Jesus was alive before he was born. We remember that, yeah? Okay, so uh, pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will forgive your rebellion, or he will not forgive your rebellion. Now, um, let me put this in context this way. Um, In the story, so in Exodus... Uh, how long ago, how many chapters ago, or what chapter was it where um, the Passover happened, where the blood was put on? Anybody remember? Is it 12? It was 12. Okay, so um, when Jesus or God is speaking this, uh, had they been saved? Yes. Did you say that, Karen? Yes. All right, now, this is really important because in this moment, we're getting into something that's very dicey and it's really difficult to understand, and this is like high-level um, sort of theological Christianity, but it is so powerful if you can get it, all right? So I'm going to cut a line, and it's, um, it, it will probably require further study from you, but it is really, really powerful. So God is now speaking to a people who have already been redeemed. God is speaking to a people who have already been saved. So a lot of times we read this and we go, well, doesn't this mean this is just like works righteousness? Doesn't this mean that I have to like earn, I have to do things so that God, you know, and so let's, let's dig on that just a second here. Let's keep reading. Verse 22, if you listen carefully to what he, the angel who's pre-incarnate Jesus says, and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites and, and Hittites and Perizzites and Canaanites, etc., All right, verse 25. Worship the Lord your God, and his blessing will be on your food and your water. I will take away sickness from among you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land, and I will give you a full lifespan. Does God want to bless you? Yes. Yes. Does that include all levels of of everything in your life? Yes. Yes. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. All right. Verse 29, I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, everybody say little by little. Little. Say step by step. Step I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. How's God going to work blessing into your life? Little by little, step by step. Come on. Uh, Now, here it is. This is so powerful. Lord Jesus, would you help us uh, get this? Well, would you help us get it all right i will establish your borders now who's he talking to israel okay i will establish your borders from the red sea to the mediterranean sea some of you geography buffs can picture this not geography yeah okay thank you <laughs> geography I also i was like okay and from the desert to the euphrates river anybody know where the euphrates river is Yeah, Iraq. I think it touches Iran. <clears throat> I will give into your hands the people who live in the land, and you will drive them out. And and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land, or they will cause you to sin against me. Okay. Now, um, if you get on a map, which I did, and you begin to look at the Mediterranean Sea to the Red Sea. Um, and, and then you look at the deserts all the way to the Euphrates River, what you would actually have is that Israel would include parts of Lebanon, parts of Syria, parts of Jordan, parts of Iraq, parts of Saudi Arabia, and parts of Egypt. Now, has Israel ever included all that? It's getting good right here, y'all. It's getting good, I'm telling you. God's got something special for us right here. Did God lie? All right, let's run that again. God, through Jesus, foretells and says, this is what I will give you. Has it ever included all that? No. Israel's never included all of that. So did God lie? You're right, he did not. But why? All right, now, I want to pause here, and we're going to full circle it, all right? Here's what we're going to do. Uh, if you're taking notes, write down um, Revelation 20 and 2 Corinthians 5. This is the New Testament corresponding to this, what we're talking about right here. This is so powerful. Um, if you're a non-believer in the room, that's fine. Just, like, sit in with us, because we're having a family meeting, all right? No, no big deal. Just hang out and enjoy, because I am not preaching uh, 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 that you earn or work your way to heaven, Um, Okay, Revelation 20 talks about a white throne judgment. It's worth reading. Uh, The white throne judgment is a judgment of grace. So people are going to go up there, and God's going to go, what should I do to let you into my heaven? Or something like that. And you're going to say, I'm in Jesus. And he's going to say, come on in. Other people, he'll say, depart from me, I didn't know you. There's nothing in that white throne judgment that has anything to do with what you've done. Nothing. Like, in other words, you can't do anything to get to heaven, or you can't not do anything to get to heaven. It is only about appropriating the life of Jesus into your own life. Blood over, blood around, lamb in. That's the only way that you pass through that white throne judgment. Okay. Now, something that is not talked about is 2 Corinthians 5. Anybody know what that is? Judgment seat of Christ. All right. This is dicey because most of the time as you begin to walk down this road, Christians who are not mature begin to go, oh, well, then I have to work to earn my salvation. No, you don't. No, you don't, okay? What is the judgment seat of Christ then? The judgment seat of Christ is a judgment of reward. It's after you're into heaven. So this is kind of what it looks like. Um, In fact, if if I open my five-year journal, I almost brought it to read a couple passages to you guys, but one of the things in my five-year journal that I'm consistently writing is, Father, is there anything that you've intended or called that I've missed? Uh, Is there anything where I'm not, you know, living in obedience? Um, Is there anything that you've spoken to me that I need to go back and do? I just ask questions like that. I just leave them. Okay? Now, if, if, let me say it like this. (laughs) It's so, it's hard to explain. It's like, okay, the Lord has an intention for Bill. I'll pick on you, Bill. Bill's my friend. He also oversees our finances here. Uh, The Lord has some intention for Bill, not only on earth, but in eternity he may intend that bill have i don't know the big mansion on the corner next to jesus i'm being silly now okay but go with me there he may intend that bill has this incredible spot in eternity And yet, his heart may be uh, that not only Bill have this incredible spot in eternity, but that Bill would have an incredible spot on planet Earth, and this is not now an issue of whether Bill's saved and is going to heaven. Bill's already saved and is going to heaven. The question is, is Bill going to appropriate and actualize the full potential and purposes of God in his life, both here on Earth and in eternity? You follow me? So, so the, what we begin to wrestle with then, and people don't like to preach it because it's so difficult to get your head around, this is not that Bill has to jump up and go, oh, I got to start performing. No, 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 no. It's actually a, it's you begin to contend before God to go, Lord Jesus, what is your capacity for me on planet earth? What is your capacity and purpose for me even in eternity? So in other words, how many of you know this is all training ground for eternity, all this is passing away. I don't care how nice your car is or how big your house is or how much you I don't care. It's all gone real soon. Yeah? Every one of us. The question is, is your, um, are you actualizing fully, appropriating, making your own, the full purposes and passion of God uh, for your life both here and in eternity? So the question is, uh, is Bill going to be hanging out on a bench in eternity, which is awesome? Let me just say. I'd rather be on a bench in eternity than anywhere else with Jesus. You hear me? Okay. So I'm not knocking the bench in eternity. I'd happily sit there because I'd be there with Jesus. Right? But the question becomes, did God intend to put you in a big house on the hill next to Jesus? You follow me? This is where it gets like, what? it's a question of reward. So in other words, with our uh, older kids, what we did is they would have um, allowance just because they were part of our house you're part of the family. You get money. You just, you know, here's your allowance, weekly allowance. Okay, great. There was also some allowance that was reserved for fulfilling some responsibilities. You see what I'm saying? They're always a part of the family, so they're getting that bit, right? But there's some reward that's reserved for fulfilling what they were called to do. Now, here's where it gets uh, rough is you cannot walk out and begin to like perform and work to fulfill what God's called you to do. In fact, I love John the Baptist in John 3. I want to read it to you because it's so good. It's one of my favorite verses. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 3. John the Baptist is talking in verse 27, and here's what he says. Oh, it's so good. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given from heaven. All right, let's, let's just go here just a minute. Um, if Josh, Josh is sitting right over here, is called to be a pastor, and he refuses and keeps selling insurance, has he missed God's highest and best for him? Yes. yes. Flip it. If God has called Josh to be in the insurance industry and affect that with the power of the gospel and he disobeys and tries to become a pastor, has he missed it? The goal is not that we have a bunch of pastors. The goal, like professional paid pastors, the goal is that each of you actually become pastors in Jesus, Jesus in you, and then you carry him in every aspect of your entire life recognizing that all this is training for ruling and reigning with Christ in eternity. You follow me? So that means that every decision that we make does carry these eternal significances, and he has a heart for you, both on planet Earth and in eternity. So did God's offer to the Israelites that he would establish their borders that big? Yes. Is this saying because they didn't actualize All that they God called them to actualize. Does it mean that they weren't that group of people at this time wasn't saved? No. No. You see the difference. The question becomes, Lord, am I? um, I I can't find an English word other than appropriate, because appropriate is kind of like what you do when you eat the lamb—blood over, blood around, eat the lamb. It's 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 taking something and making it yours okay? So it's like this, it's this call that God has on your life, and you're going, okay, Lord, what is the call that you've put on my life, and, and am I moving towards fulfilling it? Now, go back to the one-year Bible. Let's talk about this for just a minute. I think there's, I put five purposes for why I call, call us to be in a one-year Bible. Can you be in another form of Bible reading? Yes. yes I don't technically care, okay? What I'm saying is get in a word, You know, we had a funny conversation in our senior leadership team because I'm always going get a five-year journal. One of them was like, "I don't journal." I'm like, "Okay, it's just a tool. It's a tool." I mean, if they told us to knock down that wall, we could use a bulldozer, we could use a sledgehammer, we could use a jackhammer. You you see, I'm saying it's just a tool. There's a lot of ways to get that wall down, right? The journal is just a tool, but I'm going, okay, get in the Word, get in worship, get in a five-year, or get in a five-year journal if you'd like, if you want to use that tool. But there's a couple of reasons. Number one, um, to know his character. Number two, to begin to think like Jesus in every circumstances that you're injected into. Number three, um, to begin to learn to hear his voice. Number four, to abide. Remember Jesus talking about the vine and the branches? If you abide in me and I in you, it's like abiding. Brother Lawrence wrote this little book called Practicing His Presence that is so powerful. And he's talking about washing dishes and practicing the presence of Jesus. The the reason I'm even talking about this is if you can begin to abide, whether it's before you go to bed or in the morning or on your lunch break or whenever, you will begin to abide in the presence and purpose of God throughout the day. And as you abide in the presence and purpose of God throughout the day, you're your ear, literal and heart ears, and your eyes, literal and heart eyes, are inclined to the things of Jesus, and you're more likely not to miss his heart for you, both now and in eternity. Does that make sense? Okay, last thing, number five, is to actualize the blessing and the purpose he has for your life. The reason John 3.27 is one of my favorite verses is because I'm not trying to grasp for more than what he's called me to, but I certainly don't want to grasp for less either. I want to live in the house that's marked Michael Mattis in eternity. Guess what? It's there. It's still being built. It's a reward. You hear me? Okay. As we close this thing, Do you understand the difference? White throne judgment, judgment seat of Christ? Am I I clear? Am I saying you have to work harder to earn your salvation? No. The bench in heaven is an awesome place to be. I just want to be closer to Jesus. Don't walk out of here and say he preached works, works... Salvation today. Okay. Thank you, Rick. I want to, let's close our eyes. Online, if you want to join us and do the same thing. Let's close our eyes. For most of us, the issue is we don't have enough faith to believe for what the magnitude of God what God wants to do and accomplish in our lives for some of us we might be striving for things he hadn't called us to but for most of us the issue is that we don't have enough faith to believe for the magnitude of what he wants to do in us and through us both here and in eternity here's what I'd like you to do if you would like and I'm just going to pray by faith, faith is a gift you know that, you can't work for it you can't change it Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But I want to pray for us right now that we would be a group of people that would access the purpose and presence of God in our lives both now and in eternity. And if you would be willing to go, I'm not sure I'm getting all that, I'd like to invite you to stand up. I'm going to pray for us. So in other words, if you would go I'm not sure that I have fully grasped by faith God's heart. His heart for the Israelites, that they would have this huge country, that the borders would be so big, both on earth and in eternity. And so if you're in here with me this morning and you would go, I'm not sure that I have grasped the goodness of God in my life to this degree. Why don't you stand up? We're going to pray. Father, as some of us are standing here, if you have a sense God has more for you that you haven't actualized, jump up on your feet. So this John replied, a person can receive only what is given from heaven. Lord Jesus, just like we commissioned Matthew and Brittany to send them out to become senior pastors, Lord, I want to commission this house and this church that we would be a group of people who access fully the capacity and the potential and the calling on our lives. Father, I pray for every person in the room. Father, we know that at times... You allow difficulty and pain, but your heart is to bless us. Your heart is to extend our borders. Your heart is to call us to see further, to care more deeply, to send us. And Father, I pray that this church would be full of a group of people that you would anoint us by your presence to see to the very bounds of what you've called us to. Lord, may we not stop short of believing what you've called us to on earth and may we not stop short of the extent of the blessing you want to give to us in eternity. Father, this little life is a breath. It's gone. It's a mist. Father, can we be a church of people who is dedicated ruthlessly to following hard after you? Father, would you plant in the hearts of some men and some women and some young people on this particular day the seeds of what you have for them, not only on earth, but in eternity. Father, would you fan those flames? And Lord, would you let us be a group of people who doesn't lose our first love and chases hard after you actualizing all that you've called us to do and be as a people. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. If you need special prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If there's someone in the room that's never given your life to King Jesus, don't walk out of here without it. It starts the best journey, the most blessed journey, the craziest journey that you'll ever experience. I'd love to pray with you. If you're online, I think we have Patrick and Nikki on there today. I hope we do. But make contact with them, and they'll get us in contact with you. King Jesus is going with you today. Amen. 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 Bless you guys.